Here we go. Ready? There it is. <laughs> what is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Lamin and Money podcast. This is a Tuesday. We normally record on a Monday, so hope you all had a wonderful Memorial Day. Yeah. Caught some bass. Yep. Nice. Planted some grass. Oh. Caught some bass and planted some grass. That's right. Well, what did you do, Tom? Well, I just was at the lake having a blast with my kids. Nice. Nice. Yeah. It was a beautiful... I, t- I was talking to someone yesterday, actually, and I was like, this was the... Uh, it was a perfect weekend to be on the lake, not in the lake. Correct. Yeah, the water's still a little <laughs> chilly. A little chilly up here. But I, I have to assume Lucy probably still jumped in. No. She didn't. No. I've, I figured, like, little kids? Yeah. No way. Oh, wow. There's, they- there's so many things at the lake to do. We, we get to that point in a Oh, I mean, a couple weeks, yeah. maybe next weekend even. I'll tell you, but, our neighbors, our neighbors at the lake this weekend, I was down there just for a day to put the dock in and stuff. And I think they had f- probably four kids, five kids under the age of 10. And all of them were in the water for an hour. So I don't know how kids. long they were in. It was just in and out and in and out. But then again, I go back to my childhood. I'm like, yeah, I can, I can remember that. I didn't really care if it was that cold. Like I get to go to the lake. What the heck? I'm exactly. going to jump in the water. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. All right, well, we're going to hop in. On this episode, we're going to talk about the Rule 72, which is extremely basic, but it's a good reminder. And I would argue of the probably 75 to 100 people that will listen to this, most of them may not know about it. So we're going to talk about the Rule 72, what that does for your asset base. Then we're going to talk about the earnings season, which includes NVIDIA, NVIDIA. which is going to be a fun one. And a fantastic article by one of our friends, who we don't know personally, but we love his work, uh, Ben Thompson from Stratechery. Stratechery. Gosh, that's hard to say. And we're going to talk about a little bit about share buybacks and what this means for your money. So stay tuned for the episode. All right. We're going to tee it off, though, with Rule 72. So if you're not familiar with Rule 72, you are about to become familiar. Layer by layer, day by day, the world, our markets, and your life unfolds. Welcome to the Laminate Money Podcast, a show dedicated to exploring our world, the financial markets, and scaling your financial life. Tom Statham, Jacob Radke, Dan Schuster, and Noah Jezdahl work for Fiel Capital, and all opinions expressed by Tom, Jacob, Dan, Noah, or any podcast guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Fiel Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. When you take 72 divided by your intended rate of return on an investment, you get how long it takes to double your money. Mic drop. That is the rule of 72. So let's do easy math. If your rate of return, if you are expecting a 10% rate of return and you take 72 divided by 10, your money will will double in about seven years. Mm -hmm. And the reason why... Uh, I think of like any formula that we could offer somebody, this probably would be one of the most powerful formulas to understand how money works. Yeah. And how it, how it works into the future. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, there's something also I'm going to throw in here, the law of big numbers. So the law of big numbers is is basically a 10% return on $100 million is way different than a 10% return on $1,000, right? In dollar terms. In yeah. dollar terms. Yeah. So the rate of return is the same, but the law of big numbers is like, it's actually different. Yep. So um, in our examples from a weekend reads, which if you're not subscribed, definitely take a, take a peek at that. You know, we, we offered, you know, two different scenarios here. 
So a 5% return on a $15 million investment account versus a 5% return on a Mm $250,000 investment account. So the person who has $15 million, again, this is like a lot of money, right? Like this is, this is, um, this is up there. This is up there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like there's hardly anyone walking around planet earth with this money. You're like, oh, well, there's a lot of people. No, you know, divide that. Like, yeah, sure. There's maybe 250 or 500,000, you know, you can probably count them on your hand in your neighborhood or something or like your town. You can probably like, oh yeah, Yeah. this person probably has that much. There's more than you think, but there's, you know, for planet earth, there's not that many people. Yep. So this person earned a 5% rate of return on their money. Their net worth would grow $750,000. Gosh. Which is crazy. Just for having that money. You could, like, if if the interest rates were to stay the same, you could just pop that thing inside the Schwab Money Market Fund, and, you know, you'd pretty much be there. To frame this, you know, the average person makes a few million dollars over the course of their career, right? And this person, who has just $15 million, just by owning those would earn a third of what somebody would make over their lifetime. 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 That's crazy. That is the law of big numbers. Yep. Right? And so again, the the average balance, according to Fidelity, of a retirement account for somebody who's 55 is $250,000. Hmm. Not an insignificant amount of money. Yep. Yeah. That, yeah. We're not saying like that's paltry, right? Like that's, that's, that's a decent chunk of money. But a 5% return on that is about $13,000. Right. And if you think about that, if you're like, man, that doesn't cover my expenses for the year. I spend $80,000 a year. Yeah. It's like a 5% return on that on the average for somebody who's 15 is, uh, or 55. I mean, that's just not that, that's simply not very much money. A lot of our listeners, of course, are 25 to 35. Uh, That's like the, the core, the core listeners here. And then we kind of, you know, in, well, it's, it's, it's really 25 to 45. So the average balance, do you guys know what the balance is actually on those people? Jeez. For our people? I think, yeah. I thought I saw a thing that said Gen Z's average net worth, which is my generation, which is even mm-hmm. skewed probably to the 25, is like 1,000 to 10,000, like okay. average. Yeah. And then I think the step above that is like maybe 25 to 35, yeah, like that. that. It's, it's fairly low, but I mean, it's, it's growing, right? Yeah. yeah. On $25,000 and you have five more doublings before you die. Or yep. ten more or whatever. Yep. You got you got quite a bit of compounding there. Yeah. But, yeah. So the like the average for our listeners, if you got a ten percent return on or a five percent return on thirty thousand dollars, that's like fifteen hundred bucks. Yeah. yeah. I was driving uh to to work this morning and there was some guy that was riding a a really nice electric bicycle and he was like riding where the cars were and he was probably going about twenty five. But I was like, huh, like that bike probably costs, you know, fifteen hundred to three hundred the three thousand dollars. Like, I wonder how much money that guy made. Like, you know, dividing that type of purchase divided by uh, your discretionary income. I was like, it's you know probably a decent amount of, uh, you know, his discretionary income went to just like mm-hmm. a bike. So all things to say, we're talking about the law of big numbers, and here's how this relates to the rule of seventy two. Like, you can just take your trajectory you're on right now, and use a rule of seventy two to figure out about where you're going to be at. Should nothing change. In a course of like 20 years. Yeah. And it's probably pretty sad. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, probably, it's probably not what you would like. <laughs> it's probably not what you would like. But um, the reason why this is so effective is, again, if, if you know basic math, yep. this is like uh, you can just see your trajectory and use it 
for purchases, you know, day to day, right? Um, on Friday afternoon, I was supposed to be going to a wedding, but I was helping one of our clients buy a car. And, you know, through my head, I was talking, I was thinking through, okay, what's the opportunity cost of this transaction, right? Um, like how much money if they, you know, if they bought this vehicle versus this vehicle, like what, what would that mean for their financial life? So I was literally professionally using this um, mm-hmm. on my way to a wedding that was awesome. Um, but this rule 72, use it and use it often. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you, you don't get to a point where you can really take advantage of a lot of big numbers until your money has doubled a lot. Right. Yeah. It it takes your ten thousand to double to twenty thousand to double to forty thousand to double right. to eighty thousand to double to a hundred and sixty thousand. Like this person that has fifteen million dollars, it probably doubled several times before it yep. got to fifteen million dollars. Exactly. Yep. And it's the later doubles that really count too. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you think about the ten the ten years or whatever that it took to double from seven and a half million to fifteen million. I mean, that's that's versus even the one right before that, what would that be? Three point seven five million, right? Like 7.5 divided by two, 3.75 million doubles 10 years, you get to 7.5. But then the next 10 years, you have 7.5 million more rather than the 3.75 million. I mean, so you're talking huge, huge amounts of money here. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and people are like, how do these people, you know, get so rich? It's like they don't really do it necessarily by just saving money, right? Right. They A initially lot. did it by saving money, yep. but they, they initially did, but really where, where, where like, financial lives get really, you know, out of hand to the upside is when the, when the market or whatever assets they own just go over time, over time. Yeah. So to explain what happened with, you know, some of the knowledge workers in COVID, you know, we were getting questions a few years ago, like, where the heck are all these people? Where are the people? And, you know, I was just, I got to the point, I was like, okay, let me just explain the math. In 2019, the stock market was up 30%. In 2020, the stock market was up 20%. In 2021, the stock market was up 30%. There were people walking around with $2 million that all of a sudden had like five. Right. Because it doubled so fast. Because it doubled so fast. And so you had all of these people, you know, in their uh, late 50s and early 60s who just simply, they, I mean, they didn't have, they had good jobs, right? They, They saved well. And we had clients like this as well. Like we were actually working with people who this happened and we're like their net worth just doubled in like three years Mm -hmm. and that's the math right when you take 72 divided by three you get like an average rate of return of about 20 and like that's at what that's actually what happened yep and so for some of these older people like where do they go it's like well they're just they're done they're done like they don't need to do anything like in three years their net worth doubled so they're like why would i work I'm just going to buy a camper and travel the country while in lockdown. And that's what people did. Right. Right. Totally. Totally. Hands down. So, you know, one thing, you know, we're really passionate about helping build, you know, financialize. We're really passionate about building infrastructure for people. So, um, because what no one knows is no one knows when the market is going to go boom. Right. And again, if you were to ask these people in 2018, like, Hey, you have $3 million. You are an above average saver. You've done really good. You've, you know, but your net worth is about to double in three years. They would be like, nah, there's no way. It took me, it took me, it took me 35 years to make this. To get to where I am. To get to where I am. It's like, no, no, no. You're, you're about to double. And right at the base of the J curve. Yeah. Exactly. So that's like why there's so much value in doing these little things right. 
Because again, there were literally millions of people yep. Yep. in 2019 that their financial lives were about to change for the upside and they had no clue that yeah. it was going to happen. Yep. Yep. And I think this is like ta- talking about this, this doubling action that takes place. That is the reward for years and years of good savings habits, right? It's yeah. like, that's actually, um, that, that's actually the pot of gold that's at the end of the rainbow, right? So you think about like, like Jacob was already hitting on this. It's like, you know, you have, well, you were hitting on this too. You got a thousand dollars when you're 25 years old. It's like, okay, in 10 years, that doubles to 2000. If you do nothing, it's like, that's not enough. That's, that's not, not enough, enough money to, to just live, right. To live off of. Um, but it's like years and years and years. Well, how, I think how this works over a lifespan is the early years are all about make the money, save it, make the money, keep it, and then like save it and grow it. Right. So you've got to be shoveling the money into the, uh, 401k into the Roth, into the brokerage account, whatever it is, got to be shoveling the money over there, growing it. But then by the time you go from age 25 to 55, at that point, you've probably already hit a transition where the account balance isn't growing because you're saving X amount of dollars every year. It's growing because the growth rate is bigger than the, the actual savings rate that you have, right? Yes. So that the number of dollars on an absolute basis that's going into the account every year is smaller than how much the growth, the growth is just from performance, right? Exactly. That's, that's the reward. Like that's what to shoot for. It's like do this right for the first twenty years, which which that's not that sucks. Easy task, yeah, it's a right? long time. Like, yeah, it kind of sucks, and uh, and you will be rich later. Exactly. And this is like the definition of pa- like passive income, right? Um, this isn't like, you know, we're not talking about, um, we are talking about income, right? But we're talking about growth. And, um, you know, I was, I was presenting last week to a group of business owners and, uh, and, or not presenting, I was in a conversation, um, with some business owners around personal finance and, you know, everyone in the room was just obsessed with passive income. I'm like, guys, like, yes, passive income is important, right? Like, we need income. You can't eat your net worth. Like, you you actually need income mm-hmm. to live. Um, mm-hmm. Last time I checked, you know, you don't, if you own Apple stock, you don't automatically get an iPhone. Like, you have to pay for it. Um, but, like, the, the growth of your net worth is something definitely worth tracking. Yep. And it should, like, in your early years, like, you should be growing, right? Like, you should be growing at a decent clip um, so that you can take advantage of the rule of 72. Because a rule of 72 gets far more po- powerful the earlier or the later you get. Yep. Yeah. So, um, for an example, Warren Buffett has been compounding his asset base since he was a teenager. So, you can go back to the origins of Warren Buffett, and he was doing like really um, trivial businesses like when he was a teenager. Um, but one of his secrets is like he's just been compounding for decades. He's been compounding longer than most people have been compounding. Yeah. Right. Some yep. people have been compounding, you know, they start in their 30s. Warren Buffett's like, I, I believe Warren Buffett had the equivalent net worth of $100 million by the time he was 30. Wow. I, I believe that's the math. Like, he was, he was compounding, but then he was also very good yep. at investing. Like, so, so there's two different things that Warren Buffett's, you know, playing with. He's good at investing, and he also has, has a far better understanding of time than somebody else. And we're not talking about, like, you know, we're not talking about the gurus on LinkedIn that are like, you know, oh, you have you have six days within your 24 hours. It's like, no, we all have 24 hours in a day. Uh, and, you know, like that's all we have. Yeah. But Warren, Warren Buffett and the, and the Berkshire crew, they just have a different they just they think of it different uh, than most people. 
Yeah. yeah. And I mean, he's compounded his income over that time too. Yeah. Like just through Berkshire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just wild. Yeah. yeah. So like to give math again. So it took Warren Buffett um, 50 years to, or no, no, excuse me. Uh, it probably took Warren Buffett 35 years to make, to, to make a billion, right? So from 15 to, from 15 to 50, that, that's how long it took him to have a net worth of a billion dollars. He's in his 90s now and he's, and he's, you know, a hundred billionaire. Yeah. Right? He's a hundred times richer, right? Yeah. Right. In, in almost the same amount of time. In almost the same amount of time. Yeah. She's yeah. like, Phew. so why are we hammering on this? Why are we talking about the rule of 72? So that you can do the math easily in your financial life. And you're like, okay, if I double my assets in, if I have an 8% rate of return, how long does it take to double? Mm. So if you have 30,000, that's going to take you what? Uh, at, at 8%, this can take 10 years. So you'll have $60,000 in 10 years. What do you think about that? That makes you want to barf in your mouth. Probably want to change something. Right. Well, you even use it as like a, uh, how much do things realistically cost? Like non-discretionary yep. purchases actually cost, right? If you're like dropping $3,000 left and right on whatever crap, like that probably equates to like $36,000 by the time you're ready to retire because that mm-hmm. $3,000 would have doubled several times. Yeah. Right, right. Opportunity cost calculation yeah. there. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Which, I mean, doesn't ex- exactly matter. Like spend away. Like it's your money. Don't just do whatever. But like have a plan so you know where you're going to be at that same time and you're comfortable with that outcome. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah. 100%. I think another good thing about the Rule 72 is you can see like like outlandish returns, how just impossible they are. So people are like, oh yeah, I can grow my money 20%. It's like, okay, so let's do the math here. (laughs) Good luck. Um, You know, you're at 20% divided by 72. Okay, 72 divided by 20. You, If you're growing 20% per annum, you're, it would take 3.6 years to double your money. So we're going to take a compounded rate of return. Um, we're going pro here. We're flipping the iPhone on the side. Look at that. Again, yeah. round two. Go yep. pro, go pro. Go pro. <laughs> All right. So we're going to do, well, let's say you can compound your money at 20% per annum for uh, 15 years. Your money is 15.4 times. So if you had $100,000, you would have $1.5 So. That sounds like, like, wow, that's pretty good. But then you extrapolate that over time and you're like, those returns just aren't really, they're not sustainable, right? right? No. So, or you're taking too much risk and all of a sudden halfway through you lose it all. Yeah. Yep. Like those, like the, the stock market's average return is there for a reason because that's like, you know, that's a good proxy for, for returns. Same with real estate, right? Like they're, they're above inflation and you want sustained returns. So mm-hmm. reason I'm saying this is like, don't think you can just magically return your way out of uh, financial problems. Nope. Like you'll yep. probably lose a lot of money along uh, the way. Magically getting returns is a terrible plan. Yeah. Because but, they, they just don't yeah. exist. And we've yeah. always told people like trees don't grow to the sky. Why? I don't know. They just don't. I've never seen it happen. Yep. Live by returns, die by returns. Exactly. <laughs> Basically, it's, yeah. Yeah. So when, like when a government bill, you know, T-bill uh, is 5%. And the 10 years at, you know, what, three and a half, something like that. I think it's gone up a little bit, three, eight. Three, eight. Like, if anything's above that, you just really honestly need to ask the question, why? Like, what mm-hmm. risk am I taking to, to get that return? Yep. So, anyways, we've be- we're beating the dead horse here on Rule 72. But again, this is a really, really important concept. And I hope you were able to, uh, you know, stick with us listeners as we just hashed out. The rule of 72 and the law of big numbers. Hopefully it sparked something. That's right. Because it sparked something to me. Ah, keep growing. <laughs> Keeping discipline. Okay. Earnings season. How'd we do, Jacob? 
I'm just going to rifle off some stats. Okay. So this is a fact set. Uh, they put out this little, I don't know what you call this, infographic or, or something. Inflation was mentioned 290 times, which feels like it was probably higher before, but okay. Consumer discretionary grew 55% year over year. <laughs> their, their revenues, and or this is earnings, earnings growth, 55% in consumer wow. discretionary, which would include Amazon, which would include Tesla, those types of companies, Chipotle, McDonald's, um, 81 S&P 500 companies provided EPS guidance or negative EPS guidance. But I saw this, the top 10 out of the S&P 500 are the only ones that are uh, analysts are really estimating to have good earnings going forward. Mm-hmm. So like the really big companies are the only ones the analysts are like have positive sentiment around. Yeah. Which is interesting. I want to take a second and talk about the the EPS growth on consumer discretionary. Yeah. This is like why investing in the stock market, um, a lot of people hate it. You know, they, they're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. They hate it because they had a bad experience with it. But the fact that their income grew by 55% year over year, did your income grow 55% every year? Mine didn't, Mine's, but theirs did. Nope. Like, oh, dang, we can actually participate in that income growth. Yep. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. which so, part part of this, and that you know you you can manipulate your bottom line. You can manipulate you, earnings. You can really manipulate well. your income. You can manipulate anything with math and numbers, business or personal lives. Like we can fudge the numbers inside. Like, mm-hmm. honey, and, how and are we these, doing? How much money has we saved? Oh, we didn't really save anything. Okay, so you move like money from your checking account to your brokerage account the next day. It's yep. like, oh, yep. all of a sudden we're doing really good. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but you, what you can't what you can't change is the top line stuff. Yep. It's really hard to, to uh, fudge revenues up because that's the first thing on the income statement. Anyway, yep. all right, negative two point two percent earnings decline. The second the second straight quarter of year year earnings decline in the S and P five hundred, but. But far higher than the projected of like, I think it was like six. Yeah. Something like that. So so companies are faring better than people expected. Right. Given the fact that a year ago we were at, you know, the profit margins are, well, they were and they they are still really high. Yeah. They, yeah. they, they really haven't come down. And there was this there was this interesting quote that I kept hearing, but I don't exactly know who it's from, but never underestimate the power of American businesses to maintain their margins. Yeah. It's like, mm. yeah, okay, there you go. Yeah. yeah. And on your point, 78% of S&P 500 exceeded EPS estimates versus a five-year average of 77%. So they're still beating. Yeah. It's not like anything has changed where all of a sudden it's like everybody's tanking, which yeah. some of this might be because they gave poor guidance last year. Yeah. And now they're over outperforming their own guidance, which the analysts uh, heavily rely on. Yeah. And that was my caveat there. I was I was even going to point that out. It's like, you know, some of this might even be the the guidance became so low. Mm. The forward guidance was so low that now we see beating on the ex, uh, or ex- exceeding on the EPS expectations. But that still doesn't, uh, like you said, it, it, you, you can't fudge the top line numbers. And you go back to consumer discretionary, that still doesn't account for the fact that there was 55% growth in the consumer discretionary sector. Which really, it's like for all the listeners too. Consumer discretionary is us. That's Jacob. Yeah. That's Tom. That's Dan. Spending. Spending. That's you who's listening. Spending, um, and going out and buying Tesla or buying that electric bike. Which I see those all over the place now. Yeah. So it's like that is the consumer um, driving that revenue. Mm-hmm. On there, Amazon, yeah. there are tens of millions of people that make up these these companies. 
And you know what I remind people when people are like, oh, the stock market, blah, 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 our economy, blah, blah, blah. It's like there are over 100 million people in our, co- in our country, uh, you know, working full times. I mean, there's, it's actually more than that. It's like probably 140 million people that are just mm-hmm. working really hard to put food on the table. Like, you know, people working at these publicly traded companies, you know, it's not like they're like trying to lose. They're no. actually like trying to win. And the management's trying to win, they're like all the way down to the line leaders. Uh, you know, I heard of, um, well, you know, uh, somebody in, in what I'll say, somebody in uh, the Bay Area who, you know, was a janitor at Tesla and ha- that had stock options. It's like all the way down to the line leader, you know, had, te- had Tesla stock options and, and had a lot of money in Tesla, you know, literally mopping the floors and cleaning the toilets, like from top down. You know, these, these people are trying to win. And so, you know, when, when people are like, oh, our country is blah, blah, blah. Like, no, there's literally 100 million people in our country trying to win. And that's why mm-hmm. some of these numbers. Or more. Or, or more. Yeah, that's why these, some of these numbers, um, you know, these companies are good because, you know, people just want a life that's okay. They, want, they just mm-hmm. want a good life. You know, for people around here who maybe don't have a lake cabin, don't have the privilege, like they just want to they just wanna go to the, somebody's cabin, right? Or they want to go to DL for a few weekends and, and hang out on the beach. Like that's just what yeah. people want. Which is why the stock market is attractive in general. Mm-hmm. It's not just companies and executives that are like right. the ones that are moving stock prices. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, you actually need your salespeople to sell. Yep. You need your support staff to support and you need the janitors to clean or the cleaners to clean mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. Like yeah. it, at the end of the day, it comes to people wanting to win. Yeah. yeah. And it's amazing what a little fire under your feet will do too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you just think about this from, and, and I, you again, for all the listeners, you could probably think about this in your personal life. It's like, over the last 12 months, I have probably doubled, I've sort of doubled down on um, like my, my focus of like, you know what, like I have, I have a wife, we have a house, like we have to pay a mortgage, groceries are expensive, <laughs> I have to make money and I, and I have to do my job well. And it's, it's even that, it's like when you put a little bit of fire underneath your feet, which we, from a broad, painting a broad brush stroke here, but it's like we were coming out of uh, pre-2020, it's like 10 years of just amazing growth, broadly speaking, across the economy. Um, and now, uh, you know, it's easy to settle into that a little bit and be like, oh, yeah, this is, everything's good. Everything's, everything's rosy. Fine. Now, the last three years, it's like, that's where the fire has come in. Yeah. But I can feel it in my own life. And it's it's pushing me to, you know, let's 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 get work done. Like, let's get stuff done and and make sure that there's still food on the table. There's an adage that out there that says, the more kids you have, the more money you make. Huh. Interest, I and suppose. it's like yeah. absolutely i was putting yep. i was like last night we got home from the lake and i was unloading our uh uh camille was putting the kids to bed and i was just doing some laundry and i was just putting our our laundry from the washing to the dryer and i was just putting all these clothes in here i was like i paid for that i paid for that <laughs> i paid for that <laughs> just the thought that i had and it was like you know it's like i don't clothe i i clothe like you know there's six people there's four humans and two dogs that I'm providing for. And it's like, yeah, you, you just do good work and you, you multiply, you know, what Dan just said, what, what literally what I was thinking about, uh, you know, doing laundry last night. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons why this all works. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. And again, one of the reasons why you have to understand the rule of 72. It's like, if you don't know what your money's doing for you, uh, good luck. (laughs) Just, just gonna, just, I'm just gonna put that there because again, one of the things about this podcast is like, to all of our listeners out there, you have to assume you're average. Um, I, my, one of my finance professors did this really interesting study. I believe it was actually Fariz. Hey, well, yeah. So Fariz, if you're listening, um, thank you for this, what I'm about to say. But 
He's like, raise your hand if you think you're an above average driver in the classroom. And there's probably like, you know, 40, 50 kids in this classroom. He's an upper level finance course at NDSU. Like 70% of the people raised their hand. And he was like, that's not true. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. That so, technically means that the people raising their hands are the average because the average amount of people raising their hands were, you know, so that means that they are the average. Yeah. Like there's, yeah. there's like 70% of the classroom can't be average or like can't be above average. Yep. Half of the class is an average driver, right? Like the bell curve. Like it, it would literally be um, like that was, that was what would happen. So, you know, people in their minds, they think they're better than they are, right? And, uh, and again, I was telling some business owners, like, well, where are all the employers? You know, people, people are like, oh, you know, I'm really struggling to find employers. I was like, your brand on the internet probably sucks. Like, you probably have done a really bad job of marketing your company. Your company culture probably isn't that awesome. You probably don't, you're probably not that good, and that's why people don't want to work for you. Right. There was you know? an interesting, at, at one, of those, one of those meetings that I was at with you, it was an interesting thing that came up and, and they were asking this guy like what he would like to see in the company to like work for them or work with them, right? And he was like, you got to be Instagram worthy, which basically just means like it has to be kind of like flashy. It has to be a fun place to work. It has to be something that you would want to post on your Instagram, mm -hmm. yep. right? It can't just be this boring, you go to work, you sit down and then you leave. Yeah, You do your work and you leave, right? That's it's got to put, put some fun in it. Exactly. And we're not like saying, you know, business is fun or, you know, there's like, there's, there's mission behind that, but, but that's true. And same with your money and what, what uh, our finance professor was saying is like, this just not true. Right. And it's like you, yep. with all of this stuff, like you have to assume your average, like if, you know, the fidelity, again, the 55 year old has $250,000. That will be you. <laughs> Probably. Like, that, statistically. Statistically, that will be you. And if you don't want to be that person, you have to change. You have to do something different than what most people do. So, so like that's why this yep. is that's why this is important. Like you just yep. have to assume your average. And again, that's why I said earlier, like you can't return your way out of financial problems because if you swing for your fences, you'll buy an NFT that goes to zero. Yep. <laughs> or if you're like, oh, honey, we're gonna strike it rich with this, you know, trading scheme that we just uh, wrote on the internet. It's like, yep. nope, you're gonna be on the wrong side of the trade. Yep. It, it just doesn't work. It, like it works for some people. For but a time. It, for a time, but it probably isn't going to work for you. Yep. Yep. My All dad right. told me about real estate. He was like, Tom, if real estate was easy, everyone would be doing it. Right? But it's not. But it's not. Yep. And like, there's a reason for that. You know, there's a reason why there's not a lot of $15 million brokerage accounts out there. It's just really hard. Yep. So anyways, um, all things to say. All right. Talking about, earnings, talking about some, bad. some easy money here. Jacob's really excited to talk about NVIDIA, everyone. <laughs> I'm he, excited to hear He's cutting me it. off because he's so excited to talk about NVIDIA. Yeah, we got, we got, to, get, we got to get you off of that. <laughs> All right. NVIDIA has crossed $1 trillion. Yep. The first, it's up 5% today, which is crazy. Yeah, Cue the, the, the applause. The, yeah, <laughs> cue the applause. <laughs> the first chip company to exceed $1 trillion in valuation. 26% or more. I think it might have climbed even higher on earnings day which equated to like $184 billion jump. It was already up 106% year to date. And now it's up like 190. It's probably almost 200 after today. And the reason behind that isn't because they released a stellar quarter in Q1. It's because of what they guided going forward. Mm -hmm. They still had a stellar Q1, which probably would have juiced them up a little bit, but it wouldn't have been 25% worth. Right, right. But what actually made the difference 
is NVIDIA expected sales of $11 billion instead of $7 billion <laughs> for the next quarter. One quarter. One quarter. One quarter. Insane. A 64% increase in sales. The top line that cannot be manipulated. Yeah. That's insane. And all, all of it comes insane. around to AI and AI applications. Yeah. It is insane how much a GPU costs. And GPUs for everybody out there is like a CPU. But instead of like, it can only process one thing at a time, it can do a lot of parallel things at the same time. So yep. an application like AI that needs to connect multiple data streams to output and output needs GPUs. And also it's just faster compute in the, in the first place. Mm-hmm. But you also need it in the data centers. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm not going to go down that tangent. It is just insane how much these guys have grown. But there's another side of the coin and watch our webinar on this. But this is getting a little bubbly because the price... Yeah. The pr- uh, Price of sales, yeah, is <laughs> is a little a little Un- out there. Unreasonable. I think it's like like thirty some thirty some times sales, which mm-hmm. the average like in its peer group is probably like four to five, six. Wow, maybe yeah. So several times higher. Yeah. So some flags. I'm gonna uh, make a little uh, make a little personal finance, you know, interweaving here, right? So people think they're awesome. They're like, oh, I'm gonna be this person one day statistically knowing that like they're not so what some people do is they like they tend to over they overestimate their abilities to create money and income Mm -hmm. that is sort of what jacob's talking about right now it's like oh my gosh this is you know for what you're paying for this company like it's get a little stretch right now so people do is they're like oh i'm 35 i'll have plenty of time to do x y and z so in some sense they're actually overvaluing uh their their ability to create income and wealth um, when what you want to do, of course, is, you know, buy companies. And we talked about this in our investing strategy. I think that was last week, right? Two, two weeks ago. I two think. weeks ago. Like you want to have quality growth at a reasonable price. So I think, you know, taking a cold shower of humility when it comes to your <laughs> personal financial situation is so smart, right? And then like once, once you set yourself up like that, once you actually own assets, once you have the income and, and assets, and the bridge between that is savings, you can you know, own companies like NVIDIA that just go like, boom. Yep. You can make a bunch of money in one day. And then be careful about it, right? And be careful about I wanna, it. I want to walk through some of this, like the expectations going forward. And this is, this is like the math behind like the risk that you're taking in some of these things at this point. So NVIDIA at 32 times sales is a <laughs> high valuation. Let's just say that gets cut in half. What NVIDIA has to do is they have to increase sales by 100% to maintain the same valuation. Yeah. Let's just say the price of sales go down by 75%. NVIDIA would have to increase its sales by like, say, almost 200%. Like the difference there is like investors are pushing into this thing and driving up the valuation, not necessarily because of sales today, but because of sales in the future. Mm -hmm. If those sales don't actually come to fruition and investors say, all right, we want out of this. You see the multiple start to go down, which is going to be a drag on price. But if NVIDIA can't deliver, it will result in negative price. Yeah. And so, here, here's what's happening right now. So it's like, why, like, why, is, this hap- like, why is all this stuff happening? We've talked a lot about AI. Uh, like that's been something that um, I think it's been partially a little bit of a passion project for us. Um, and then partially it's been something that is very important for investors to understand. So like, you know, why are we spending time talking about NVIDIA, which is basically an AI play? So uh, 
ultimately in the future, you want to own the robots. You don't want your robots to take your job, right? You want to learn how to, from a personal perspective, you want to like learn how this stuff works, right? Like yeah. this has a very tangible uh, impact on your ability to first have a job and then to be good at your job, right? Yep. Like there's a first mover advantage here that's happening in the marketplace in real time. That's actually, that that's, it's like, it, it means if you're a white collar worker, like this stuff means something for you. You should know what this is going on. From a, an investing perspective, um, uh, again, my trip in New York, this just, uh, I, I think this really puts a bow on what's happening right now. The last 10 years were really marked by the consolidation of the internet into the, the FANG stocks. Mm-hmm. And that was really driven by the cloud. Yep, cloud. And tech cycles move, uh, again, this is per Davis, right? Um, tech cycles move in 10-year increments, right? They move in 10-year inc- increments. Like we are now, um, I, I th- and again, I think we're in a new era where, okay, the cloud era is done, right? And not meaning and, that cloud is going to die. Yeah, but- not meaning that clouds, but like those returns happened. Mm-hmm. And now it's on to the next thing. And it appears investors are completely voting with their feet here and saying it's AI and it's happening big and companies are actually investing. They didn't do block. They didn't really do blockchain. Mm-hmm. They didn't really invest mm-hmm. in Web3. Everyone was talking yep. about it. They actually didn't vote with their feet. Mm-hmm. And, and NVIDIA's earnings was an absolute sign that's like, no, 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 no. This is happening. Like, it's go time. We need these GPUs from NVIDIA yesterday put the order in, you know, you know, chief whatever officer for these big companies, like we've got to get on this now. Yep. Yep. Couldn't have said it better myself. I know. I'm like, what else can I add to that? Yeah. So follow the money though. It's like, that's, and you can see that's, that's where the flows are coming and the expectation of where the flows will go. And, yes. and just from a scale perspective, because uh, this has been on my mind the entire time you've been talking about this. You said it's okay. Uh, expectation was from seven billion to eleven. That's where it's gone now per quarter. Right. Yeah. For for <laughs> quarter. One quarter. So the next quarter after that, they might guide to fifteen billion. Right. It could yeah. be even larger. So four billion dollar increase. Think about the size of a billion dollars to begin with, right? And yeah. and I know I sometimes do this practice. Like sometimes we talk about these numbers because these numbers get so big. So think for yourself. What do you have to do to get to a million dollars? Okay. Then do that 999 times, <laughs> right? To get to 999 million. And then on that thousandth time that you can accumulate a million dollars, you hit 1 billion. And then do that for that whole process four more times. That's how you get $4 billion, right? It's insane. It is. That is a massive amount of money. It's insane. Like we're talking N- NVIDIA's, the guidance was $80 million of sales a day for the next quarter. Yeah. And, Every that, and at $10,000 per A100 chip, how much how much chips do they have to sell a day? That's 8,000 a day. 8,000 A100 NVIDIA chips, yep. GPUs. A day. A day. Which for the next quarter. And that that's like the addition. That's like not what they already, that's the $4 billion addition. Yeah. They like, need to do more. They, they've told investors, we're going to be doing $80 million a day more Mm -hmm. (laughs) which part of this too like dan said and like you said they're getting on your feet and going there's going to be a backlog like you wouldn't believe (laughs) for ai chips there's going to be so many gpus that are going to be like hey we need them i don't know what we're doing yet but we are going to get them and that's probably how they're going to achieve these numbers which isn't necessarily the great thing to do but it's also something where it's like 
hey, if you got a backlog and you're just constantly filling orders at 8,000 a day to get where you're needing to go because you have the backlog, it's like, yep. well, perfect. Great yep. for you. It's yep. crazy. So to put some local color on this, so last summer when I was, I was buying some laptops, um, I was talking to the salesman at Best Buy and I just randomly asked him like, hey, you know, um, I'm, you know, I told him what I do for a living and like, you know, tell me what, what's been your experience with NVIDIA. And he was saying this was last summer. So this was pre-AI crazy, boom, right? Pre-ChatGPT yeah. pre mil- or 1 million in five days. Yes. So this was pre-that. I was like, hey, you know, what's been your experience with NVIDIA? He's like, do you have any products in store? He's like, no, the last time we got a shipment, there were there were people waiting overnight at the Best Buy in Fargo Holy cow. for NVIDIA's products. We're talking, wow. so so I think, uh, I, I think they did like a hundred, I, I believe it was like $180,000 of business in Fargo over like in a day because the NVIDIA shipment came in because the NVIDIA shipment wow. came in and people were overnight. So <laughs> like this stuff is real and that was pre AI. So that would have been like those people doing that. I don't know what they were doing. If it was, you know, crypto mining, if it was gaming, like probably don't, gaming and crypto. Yeah. yeah, yeah probably like probably those two things, gaming yeah. in particular and then the crypto mining. Yeah. yeah. And this is like a whole nother obviously a whole nother scale. you want to know another thing that's kind of crazy nvidia's gpus are so powerful the u.s banned them <laughs> banned nvidia selling them to china yeah before well, the ai craze yeah like it is like this is pro-grade stuff yeah this is pro-grade so i want to talk about like um uh microsoft's place in this so yes, ben thompson platform. again yeah if you haven't read his stuff he's um He's really, I would say, probably the resident expert of uh, big tech, like the the mega cap techs. And I've I've been reading his stuff for, uh, I don't even know, like years and years and years. And I don't always read him regularly, but he's been he's been on my top list of people to read. So he was talking about Microsoft, and uh, under Satya, he successfully transformed Microsoft after he took the reins from Balmer from you know, office to Azure. And Mm -hmm. this was a profound shift. And this didn't happen. This wasn't that long ago when Microsoft made the move to to cloud. And let's call it what it is. Boy, was that a success. So fast forward to today, somehow Microsoft ended up being a part of OpenAI, which, you know, created ChatGPT. I don't exactly know how the origin stories of that happened. I don't know how that works either because OpenAI is a nonprofit. But, but yeah, somehow they did it. They they're they're in and it's worked out great for them. But Microsoft now is sitting at an intersection where it is completely verticalized, basically somebody's digital life when they're at work. So we're talking emails, Word documents, Excel, Teams, browser. Like they have they are about to put AI. And okay, what I just said, by the way, that was like the entry level Microsoft. Yes. There, there's like Microsoft that, you know, enterprise products that I honestly, I don't even know about, but I'm sure a bunch of, you know, we work with a lot of people from Microsoft. Yep. So I'm, yep. I'm sure they could be like, Tom, you're an idiot. You should, you know, talk to me. So <laughs> anyways, um, they're at the intersection of putting all of this inside the, you know, the, the suite, the, the, the suite of Microsoft and oh my word. Yeah, so if you can visualize this, just imagine this big bar and everything in it says like Teams, Outlook, Word, Excel, all the all the Microsoft products. I'm not going to list them all. Yeah. And then you have this big curly bracket attached to it and then it says <laughs> AI and it has an arrow going in. 
that's what they're doing. Like they an- a- announced this thing called Copilot, which is just going to basically come up if you have a Windows computer, which chances are you do. It's going to be this thing that shows up on the side of your screen and you can say open teams and send this image <laughs> and drag it in there to my team chat. And then it'll do it. It'll just send it. It'll do it. You drag it in and send <laughs> and then you tell it what to do and it does it. Like the co-pilot and there's an, there's an interesting line that he put in here and it says something like teams, team wasn't better than Slack or something like that. It was me- mediocre, whatever. But because it was integrated into what everybody was using anyway, it beat Slack. Yeah. Yep. I, I just think that that's like something to be said here, even if, and we said this last time too, the distribution, like if your distribution is on point, it doesn't matter if you're 90% of what other people are mm-hmm. because it's so easy for people to use. Yep. Yes. Yes. Very interesting. This is, um, this is profound. And, and so Satya turned Microsoft really into a platform company, right? Mm-hmm. Or it wasn't about selling like, you know, Microsoft More. products, yeah. right? It was like, no, let's make this stuff work together. Yep. And so uh, Ben was talking about how, you know, the difference um, between Apple, Google and, and or excuse me, Apple, Google and Microsoft in the context of this. And, you know, Google's really made it, made its, uh, really staked its sand on, you know, playing with other people mm-hmm. where Microsoft has, yep. again, really gone into the verticalization of everything. Yep. And like Microsoft is in this really amazing situation where they can, like, it's the perfect, you know, place to put AI yep. because you can, you can use AI to go through, uh, you know, like an organization's Excel files, for example. And like, right, right. you don't need to disrupt yourself. Google's in their innovator dilemma where they have to disrupt their search, their mm-hmm. main revenue stream. And Microsoft, the, the revenue stream is not from Bing. Yep. Like they integrated that crap into Bing because they don't care. Yeah. They're like, if right. Bing goes away, <laughs> so be it. Yeah, I right. guess that's fine. Right. Like where Microsoft really sits is it's like, we're not disrupting ourselves. We're doing one plus one equals 10. Yeah. Correct. Like if we integrate AI into our productivity apps, more people will come. Yes. And they will buy our licensing. Yep. Where if Google integrates AI, like, sure, you can get better Gmail, better Google Docs, stuff like that. But people don't really go to Google only for Google Docs. They're going to search. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think, like you said, it's like Microsoft has made their money off of having uh, having an easy-to-use platform that's vertically integrated, which I can say myself, too. I know there, and people are saying this already, they're like, Microsoft's not easy to use. There are things that could be easier. But they have made it simple, right, to just align the entire vertical. So I can do my whole job just using an office suite of products, mm-hmm. and AI is just going to make it easier. Yeah, it's faster. Make it even easier. Yeah. And, and that's even like, more integrated. And and what's crazy about this is like, we're talking about like, we've been talking about like ourselves, like how we, you know, we ourselves would use this. You toss in an S&P 500 company that's got, you know, 30,000 people working at it and you overlay AI into that and, you know, communications between departments. Yes. Um, that is where- The rule of 72 comes in. Yeah, there's some profound impacts. And, and I don't think this is really- um, nah, yeah, I'll, I'll say it like, you know, their uh, data is the new oil, right? Oil in and of itself. Like if we just put a barrel of oil on, on this table, we'd be like, oh, what do That's I have with some that? oil. I like if there were the, if there's a barrel of oil on our, on our table right now, I would literally, I would, you know, probably go over my next door neighbor, Lynn. I'd be like, Lynn, I've got oil. Like, what do I do with this? How do I dispose of this oil? To me, it means nothing. But to some people, like, it's everything, right? But, but then when you know how to use oil, it's like, oh, yeah, it's in my laptop. It's, you know, it's, it's in the silicone in my iPhone case. 
you know, it's sitting in our cars outside. Like when you know how to use oil, yep. it's like, it, it actually created the world that we lived in. Now, when you know how to use data, data. And, oh gosh, you know, it is, it, it can have huge implications. And I, in, in Ben's writing, he talked about how, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's Copilot, but Microsoft is, is going to be able to use data lakes mm-hmm. in organizations using AI to help facilitate better business making decisions to drive more value to clients and customers. Oh, my word. One plus one equals 20? 20. 20? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if you guys like have never, I, I've only done this once, but I, I, I watched a video of a demo on Snowflake, which is, you know, their business model is data lakes. Data lakes. And, uh, and it will just blow your mind. Like the, the, just YouTube it, right? Like just go on and just say like Snowflake, uh, uh, demo. Yeah. And was that the Coca-Cola one? No, it was, it was the, um, I think it was like new, uh, bicycle rides and weather in New York city. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. The Coca-Cola one is like, where does Diet Coke sell and how do you increase your distribution network to make sure Diet Coke can get faster to the areas where it actually sells versus classic Coke or Coke Zero? And basically they have this, I mean, it's probably like a heat map of sorts where it's like, all right, let's put our Coke Zero distributions close to these cities, Coke Diet Coke distribution centers close to these cities or whatever, you know, like let's optimize yeah. it. Like that's, that's the power of data mm-hmm. is it gives you the understanding of where to actually create efficiencies and create value. Yes. That's what's kind of crazy. So if you haven't, you know, been able to, to, you know, understand this after listening to our content, there is incredible value in infrastructure and distribution. Incredible value. Incredible value. Like this conversation won't exist if the infrastructure, which is Microsoft, you know, hadn't existed. And the fact that it was distributed to literally, you know, like probably billions of people across the world. So infrastructure and distribution are critical yes and so you're like well why like why does this matter for me it's like if you do not have infrastructure in your personal life to become successful you will be the average at fidelity right like the average infrastructure builds average financial lives like you actually need to build something and execute on something that's above average to get an above average financial life right like that's infrastructure like if you don't have good infrastructure if you don't have people to help build it like that's what we do right and the distribution, like, well, how do you own distribution? Like, when you actually have assets, you can distribute them on your balance sheet, you know, how it seems fit, right? Like, if you don't have money to buy NVIDIA, I'm sorry, you just missed out on, you know, 30% gains in, like, a week. Like, I'm just sorry. Like, you know, if you it's didn't too bad. have it, if you didn't have it, you didn't have it, right? Um, so that's where the value is. Like, that's, how, that's why we talk about these companies, because, first of all, they're just breathtaking. I mean, they're just incredible. But then also, there's a lot to learn from Microsoft on like how they've done their business, like why they've made the decisions they've made, why are they successful and how can we implement that into our personal financial lives? Because you can. Yep. Yeah. And the other, the other value, and I don't, I guess I can't talk to the financial life as well as Tom can. He's crisp at that. But let's just say, let's just say you're, you're Amazon and Amazon can all of a sudden deliver something to your house in seconds. Like they can teleport it to you. Let's just take a crazy example. They can teleport it to you. Their distribution, they don't need trucks. They don't need distribution centers. They just teleport things to wherever it needs to go. Their sales cycle is so incredibly small that they can do probably 10 times more sales per hour than they ever could have. Yeah. Because it just instantly will show up. People will buy it the faster it shows up. Just like liquidity, the more liquid it is, the more volume it trades in. Yeah. Yep. Like that's how it works. 
with Amazon, like the one word that I think of Amazon, you know, that, that is pertains to, you know, what we're talking about here, you know, building a great personal financial life and how this all, you know, how AI and how this, the, the ramifications for us as people, as investors, it's just focus. Like Amazon mm-hmm. is an incredibly focused company and, you know, they've made it a mission to become like the most customer obsessed company on planet earth. If, yep. you know, just obsessed over that. and whatever we obsess over, we become, right? Mm-hmm. So like if you obsess becoming a great motorcycle rider, what will happen? You'll probably become you'll, pretty you'll good. You'll probably at become mm-hmm. really good. Yeah. So whatever we obsess over, we become. And like we, we don't want people to obsess over money. We want to we have facilitate healthy relationships with money. We don't want people to be rich for rich sake. We want people to be healthy. I want to be an amazing father. So like, what does, what is money, what's money's role in that? Like, that's what I personally want to do. Right. Yeah. But like, we do need to be obsessed over this and because it makes us better. Right. Like, because it makes us better. And that's the thing with Amazon. I think, how does Amazon, it's like, we'll learn how to be obsessed over something and just relentlessly execute it. Yeah. And I was reading last week that Bezos um, was talking about like two day shipping in like the nineties, I think. Oh, Wow. I think it was like a, 30 years it ago. Was a, it was way, way longer than I had initially thought. But he knew that that was important. And so it just took him like, you know, 15, 20 years to do it. Wow. But he did it. But he was, And now there's one day shipping. And now there's one day. And some days it's the same day. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've sent stuff to my, my sister in LA. I've been sitting in Fargo, North Dakota. Like, oh, this is going to get to your sister's house in LA in three hours. Like, wow, that was slick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that obsession is really important. Yeah. All right. We're going to do the quote of the week and hang it up here. Okay. <laughs> this is from Eddie Q, which, for all you interested people, the succession plan, Berkshire Hathaway, you know, we know who's going to be the next CEO. Mm-hmm. We do not know who's going to be the next CEO of Apple. They haven't released it yet. I feel like Apple's very secretive in what they're Apple's s- very planning. That is. But Eddie Q of Apple could be the successor to Tim Cook. So here's something uh, uh, Eddie Q said on Apple's success. We say no to almost everything. Which the most famous example is to, Elon Musk came to Tim Cook and said, would you want to buy Apple or uh, Tesla? And Tim Cook said no. Yep. It wouldn't even take a meeting. Yeah. Yeah. So Apple's success is they say no to everything. So you're like, okay, I'm not Apple. What does this mean for me? It's like your ability to say no is, is somewhat of a leading indicator of, you know, what you're obsessed over. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like in our, in our lives, like we are inundated with everything. Um, oh, oh, yeah. Comment on my post this morning about AI and its implication. I was like, AI will make, you know, probably won't put a financial advisor out of business, but we will use it. Like people will use yep. AI. But what AI is also going to do is it's also going to, uh, really make these companies smarter at getting us to spend our money, mm-hmm. right? Like they're, the ads are going to probably be, be on your Facebook and Instagram timeline. Like they're probably going to be smarter. Right. Like I, I always say the timeline of ads of like billboards, TV commercials, where like you understand like, oh yeah, the people that are driving on this highway maybe are this type of person, hmm. right? Or watching this TV channel is maybe this type of person, right? Yep. And then come around to the internet and it's like, okay, this, this IP address has clicked these places. So we know that this person is interested in X, Y, Z things. Now, let's just say you, like your AI is directly communicating you 
to the brands that you're interested in and facilitating an advertisement that will actually convert. That is what's like most powerful because AI is going to understand you. Yes. Like we're to a point where the internet never could. It was just algorithm that thought it knew what your interests were. It was humans making decisions from eight to five. AI Mm -hmm. doesn't doesn't have a break. You know, it's a software that it's just as long as it's plugged into the grid, uh, you know, it's going to make decisions. So what's going to happen to everyone out there is like it is going to be easier to spend money. (laughs) Like it is going to be easier for you to spend your money. It is going to, like, who knows about a firm, right? Like, they could say, rather than four easy payments of $25 for a, you know, $100 pair of shoes, I don't know, 25, 25 payments. Yeah. Like, it's going to be easier to buy stuff. Yep. yep. And so, it's AI is going to be, on one hand, accretive to wealth, but it's probably knowing humans. It's going to be, like, it's going to be worse. Like, people are going to, financially speaking, they, they probably will be worse. People are like, oh, no, 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 AI is going to change. It's like, yes, if people use AI to help them build their financial lives. So take the cue, pun intended, from Eddie Q of Apple to just say no to almost everything. Yeah. And be convicted on the things that you would want to say yes to. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Exactly. All right. So we're going to wrap it up here. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been a fun episode, guys. Yeah. This was good. I love AI. Oh, yes. AI is so fun. And uh, again, use seventy. Use the rule of 72 a lot in your financial life, right? It helps frames decision easily. Um, it's just, it is, it is good. So- uh, we'll see you guys next week, same time, same place in a freezing cold basement in Fargo, North Dakota. Thanks for listening, and we're out. Tom, Jacob, Dan, and Noah are registered representatives of Sanctuary Securities and investment advisor representatives of Sanctuary Advisors. Bill Capital is a DBA of Sanctuary Securities and Sanctuary Advisors.